take a quick time out here, Sean. Don't call me Seth Myers. And a little check-in on how we are today. This has been a very emotional week. It, truly, it has. I was with Ron last night at his uh, hangout spot, Domenico's. Wonderful people there. Don, Philippe, or Felipe, or Filippo. I don't know what his name is, really. I know it begins with Philippe. Wonderful man. Um, toasts at the end of the night. Tears at the end of the night. It was unbelievable. And I mentioned it was like, it was like cheers. Ron had a whole little ecosystem, a, a society of people that he hung out with. It was like, it was like cheers. All these characters coming from out of the woodwork introducing themselves. It was his group of people. And at the end of the night, he went around with a little basket and passed out tiny little bottles of whiskey and everybody did a shot. And then he, and then, and then he cried. And then one, one guy read a poem, I think. Somebody else had a quilt that they're giving Ron. So when he snuggles up with a beer in Florida, he can put a quilt around the both of them. I was going to say you might get overheated in Florida. I might, yeah, depending on the air conditioning. Um, what was I saying? Just that it's, it's it, like I said at the beginning, it's like the day after a funeral. This was the death of a sports talk show. So it's the day after the funeral, the day after the wedding, when you've spent all this time trying to distract yourself and trying to prepare and trying to make sure everybody's taken care of, and then everybody leaves, and then it's just you. And that's when it really hits you. It's hitting me today. I didn't see Ron's head, his partially balding back of his head, when I walked up the stairs this morning. I didn't get the text from him this morning on show ideas. I didn't see him in here pacing around. I didn't see him say, Joseph, like my dad called me, Joseph like that, all of that is hitting me today. I just wanted to acknowledge that in the middle of the show to keep it kind of real here, okay? That is, uh, yeah, I, I second that. Um, so let's get to Sully. Let's get, there's so much to talk about. We haven't even talked about the Super Bowl. I feel like Gary Myers just, just gave us national news. That a, I the, think it might become that pretty soon. The equivalent of a character clause entered Hall of Fame voting years ago in the form of the Hall telling voters what a guy does in the locker room is an extension of what he does on the field. And that's to be considered. But I a, didn't know that. But anything criminal or anything of that nature away from the locker room still doesn't count, which right. is a weird divide. Very weird. And again... It gets me to thinking about James Harrison. His teammates absolutely adored him. He wasn't a disruptive force in that way. But by the end, some of them were ticked off when he would do things like fall asleep in meetings and leave in the middle of games, right? So am I to consider that with James Harrison if I were a voter? I, I don't know. Am I to consider the guy who shows up, some, some talking like not him, somebody else, a different case, if a guy showed up hungover for practice or wasn't a good practice player? Did that affect the games? Because the argument seemed to be that if you're a divisive locker room force, it could affect you in games. And I think what the point you mentioned is that this is going to open a, a can of worms. And I think what you're going to see is just about every prominent receiver in the NFL now has had some sort of issues where they're calling out their quarterback or their offensive coordinator or demanding a trade. This is going to happen more and more if they continue to apply it to everyone Although it kind of seems like they're going to apply it to whoever they want, which is what baseball has been for, for decades now. 
Let's get to hockey, Sean. And apparently there's going to be some work happening in here. My friend Vic is now in the building. This is very exciting for everybody. He's going to do some repair work. Let's hope he has a drill and it gets real loud in here, Sean. Won't that be fun? Ron will really be regretting Ron leaving will be, yeah, a day He'll early. be very proud of this. Um, abruptly switching subjects, I should say. And by the way, we're coming up on the 50-minute mark on the fan. Brought to you by South Hills Chrysler Jeep Dodge Route 19 in Peters Township, celebrating 50 years in the South Hills. They're celebrating Marc-Andre Fleury's 1,000th game. This happened, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. His 1,000th career game, the majority of which were in Pittsburgh still. And the Penguins are in Minnesota. So it's going to be a very emotional evening. And... Mike Sullivan was asked about this yesterday, and I thought that this really sort of touched on the topic, and it can it can be equated to some of the things we may see with the Steelers and have seen with the Steelers, that when it's time for a franchise legend or just a popular player, somebody like, I don't know, a Cam Hayward in the next year or two, and by the way, congratulations to Cam in a big way again for winning Walter Payton Man of the Year. Just an incredible award for him. Really good endings are hard to find in sports. And Cam's not there yet, but who knows what happens with his contract, what he's asked to do this offseason, and the seasons beyond. You know, I think of Troy Polamalu. I think of Heinz Ward. I think of Flurry. <clears throat> it's just really hard sometimes to manage the business of sports with the emotions that surround good people who have been huge parts of your franchise, right? So I thought this was a great answer by Sully. I'm not sure exactly what the question was, but it seemed to be something along the lines of, you know, how was it managing the end of Flurry's Penguins career when he was supplanted by Matt Murray? Still won them a cup, by the way, by beating the Capitals. They wouldn't have won that series without Flurry, but then he was replaced again by Matt Murray, and then they had to make a choice, and the obvious choice, I don't care what anybody says now, the obvious choice was the guy, the younger, cheaper guy who had just won two Stanley Cups in a row. But for Sullivan, for people running franchises, these things are always very, very tricky. And here's how the coach answered that. Might be for the final time. We don't know what his status is beyond this season, but have you thought about that at all? And I'm wondering if you could go back to 2017. I know this wasn't your department. This was more with Mark Andre and Jim at the time, but how hard was it knowing in that last year that it was probably his last season and with the expansion draft? Was it kind of awkward for you, and, and how much did you have to talk with Mark Andre about it during that time? So, um, obviously, Flower means so much to this organization in this city with his contribution to the Penguins and helping establish itself uh, with the excellence that they've carried on here at, uh, during his time. And uh, was one of the most popular teammates, uh, I think, that uh, that certainly I've, I've been around. Uh, just just a, a high-quality person, a, a, a fierce competitor, and has an incredible uh, body of work in this league. Um, you know, back on when you, the time frame that you're alluding to, there were some difficult decisions that um, that had to be made um, with respect to that position, and uh, you know, those those decisions were never easy. You know, even the decisions uh, leading up through the Stanley Cup runs, when 
you know, we were utilizing uh, both Matt Murray and Flower, um, you know, at, at the time to to try to help us win uh, win the Stanley Cup, and and they both played such a key role in helping us do that. So uh, those decisions are never easy; they're always difficult. Um, Flower and I had a lot of conversations, as you can imagine, through those through that process. Um, you know, those some of those conversations were some of the hardest conversations that I've ever had with a player, uh, and those decisions might have been uh, some of the most difficult decisions that I've ever had as a coach. Um, just because we think so highly of Flower, both as a player and also as a person. Uh, but as I said, I think you know Flower and I had a good relationship, and um, you know we were very uh, straightforward and transparent. And, and how we were going about what we were doing, um, you know. I think, as I said uh, during that process, it, those were very, very difficult decisions at the time. I know they were difficult decisions for Jim, also. Um, so, but I, I do think that um, you know there was a lot of communication that went back and forth between Flower and and us. And uh, my hope is is that that Flower will certainly be respectful of that. Pretty heartfelt, I would say, from Mike Sullivan. Some of the most difficult conversations of my career. And, you know, from youth leagues on up, a lot of times the balance for a coach is between playing time and, you know, sentiment, how you feel about somebody, you know? And those tough decisions have to be made, and a lot of times aren't made, I think. Whether we're talking about obvious situations like daddy ball or mommy ball, in, in youth sports, right, where it's, it's a really strong, you know, emotional attachment to somebody where you're going to favor them over others who clearly deserve to play. And it extends all the way to college and then the pros where it's, it's obviously not familial relationships, but an icon like a Marc-Andre Fleury, how do you sit down with him, you know, and handle it? In such a way where you're saying, basically, you're being replaced. You've won cups here, or a cup at that time, and you're an incredible teammate, an incredible player, but we're going in a different direction here. You know what I mean, Sean? It's, 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 I think it's a task that every single coach on earth at every level is going to have to face That in that in that genre, that ballpark, you know? And the Penguins are so lucky that they've been able to keep the other three guys for their entire careers because that is such a rarity where you often see teams for salary cap reasons or chemistry or whatever, they have to let go of multiple legendary figures because it just doesn't work out. So the fact that they've kept Crosby, Latang, and Malkin, uh, I, I think we should appreciate that. But Flurry was the one who ultimately had to go and to a lesser extent stall. And it's never easy because both those guys turned out to be really, really good for many years after they left Pittsburgh. But I think everyone, organization, fans, they all understand how important Flurry was both on and off the ice. Yeah, the fact of the matter is that there was no choice at the time. There was none. And the fact of the matter, too, is that if you could go back and do it again, you'd pick Flurry. I mean, right? He yeah, went on I, he went I on to be was... the better player, but you had a guy who had just won two Stanley Cups and who was much younger, much cheaper. There was no argument for Flurry. 
No, at and the I time. think even, it just wasn't. Even further than that, I think they realized that Jari was going to be a, a good goalie as well. So they thought we have two young guys if something were to happen with, with Murray. So yeah, it was a, a clear decision. You were going to have to lose someone in that expansion draft, and it just made a lot of sense. But at the time, no doubt, that was 100% the right decision. And it's also true that in a lot of ways, Fleury won them that second cup under Sully. Ron tells the story of after Game 7, because Ron had written, they're, they're not going to win without Latang, not this series and not Game 7 when it got there to Washington, that the coaches after the game, after Game 7, were like, how the hell did we win that series? I'll tell you how you won Flurry. The Penguins got outplayed for the majority of that series, including the first two games in D.C., and he was unbelievable. I think it was the best playoff series of his career. He won them the cup in that series. But there was just no choice. You know, he went he went to Murray after that, and in the end, they did what they had to do. And it turned out pretty well for Flurry in the end, right? Yeah, I mean, he was he was great in Vegas. He's now a record-setting goalie who's still playing. So I think truly it's a situation where everyone can look back and understand the reasoning and respect the other side's perspective in it. Thank you, Sean. Top of the hour, let's hope, let's hope for Willie Parker. I think this is going to happen. If he doesn't pick up his phone on first try, we're in big trouble. I'll tell well, you. Well, it worked right out now. yesterday when that happened with a couple of guys. It did. That's true. Fan weather brought to you by Sun Chevrolet. Check out special financing for qualified buyers on new Silverado 1500 trucks. Really warm with some sun today and a high of 62. Now we're going to get to that and then Super Bowl talk. I mean, I haven't even gotten to, to more Hall of Fame talk here on Heinz Ward compared to people like uh, like Andre Johnson and Tory Holt and. How does Antonio Gates not make the Hall of Fame? Uh, are, are these people kidding me? More touchdowns than any tight end in history. That little sentence alone should be his ticket to the Hall of Fame. First ballot. More tight ends than anyone, in, more touchdowns than any tight end in history. And then there's the eye test. We all watched him play. He was unbelievable. He was great for a long time. I thought amongst modern tight ends, he was probably second best behind Tony Gonzalez. I just can't believe it. All right, Sean.